0: Wait, it's getting louder. We need to wait till it's like (laughs) now. It's really getting louder.
1: (laughs) We need to to wait (laughs) till it's like max
0: pitch. Holy cow. And the lightning's going crazy. Oh my (laughs)
1: gosh. It's perfect for Hitchcock
0: (laughs) talk. This is so perfect. (laughs) Um, Wow, this is a great storm.
2: and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story i'm joseph ferowski and i'm todd mack this week we are talking about sean and
0: gus from the tv show psych i'm really excited about this would you say you're psyched for this discussion todd (laughs) well i wasn't going to go there this early in the show but may as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah i uh I, i really like this show and i know a ton of people who really like this show so i'm looking forward to this discussion
2: yeah i th- I think it it will be a popular one for our listeners so this week we're talking about Sean Spencer, who is played by James Roday, and Burton Gus Guster played by Dulé Dooley Hill of um West Wing fame he we uh talked about West Wing in our very first episode of the protagonist podcast and uh he
0: was he was mentioned he was addressed in there he was not the focus of the podcast. <laughs> I was I almost just was going to ask if this is a repeat character. Our first the first time that we've talked about the same character in room cuz I always think of of Gus and Charlie as the same character.
2: <laughs> so on uh I want to say it was the first season DVD there's um a video of him talking about when he first read the psych script. And
1: uh-huh. he's
2: not like you, you need to see the tone in which he's delivering this, but he said I read the script and I just said to myself after like two pages, "Oh, This is not the West Wing. He's not talking (laughs) about quality. He's talking about tone. Like, he's very much like this is a wildly different toned show than what he had uh, cut his teeth on for network television.
0: Well, he's so good. He's so good in the West Wing. And then he is so spectacularly good in Psych. (laughs) And uh, I I think he's a really good actor. 100% agree. So
2: we are going to be talking about the season three finale, An Evening with Mr. Yang, which was written by Andy Berman and James Roday. Does that sound from, name sound familiar to you, Todd?
0: Yes, that is, is that, uh, the uh, actor who is Sean Spencer.
2: Yes, and it was directed by Mel Damsky. And we're also going to be talking about the season four finale, Mr. Yin Presents, which was written by Andy Berman and James Roday and directed by James Roday. Wow. So he is a multi-talented
0: individual. And I'm glanced, just going to throw out, you don't know this. <laughs> I am gonna give a, t- a t- just a tiny summary of the third because there's a third episode, right? That that ties everything up, but it's not very good, and <laughs> <laughs> and the summary is gonna be very very short. But we will we will kind of close the loop.
2: Okay, so we chose these two episodes, listeners, because they they are kind of the first two chapters of a continuing saga, and as Todd said, there is a third. Whereas normally, Psych does not have. An overarching storyline. It's the self contained episodes that are very silly and fun. Uh, and these are two of the more serious ones that have kind of a returning character.
0: It has it has overarching plot lines. Yeah, there are some through lines
2: for characters, but not really like mysteries yes, as much. Exactly. So yeah. the, uh, flirtations between Sean and, uh, Jules is, you know, that's consistent throughout a lot of the series, but it's not uh-huh. like, um, some shows that'll have the large mythology, you know, episodes building in the background and they touch yes. on that every episode, but then they also solve something into it like, like Veronica Mars um, or a castle. It, yeah. It's, it's not like that at all.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, how did you come to, uh, psych?
2: I remember seeing it advertised and thinking that it looked funny and then I did not watch it <laughs> <laughs> until, um, <laughs> I had students who kept mentioning it and asking me if I watched it and telling me I should watch it. And so eventually... It was a little before its last season. Maybe it, like when it had been on for six years or so. I, I got my hands on a, a DVD set of the first season from someone. And my wife and I binged it pretty quickly because it was very entertaining. And then we caught up to before the final season aired. We we had caught all the way up to it. It's
0: absolutely binge worthy. <laughs> yes. I, I, um, I ran through, well, my sisters, I think my sisters were into psych before I was. Um, and they, then I got into it and I watched a lot of it. I probably watched through season five and then I just got kind of burned out. So I've actually never, I haven't finished the whole entire thing, but, um, but I will someday.
2: It's, uh, it tells <laughs> as I was as I was watching season. it today,
0: <laughs> as I was watching it today, I thought, man, this is good. I, I should finish this out. Cause it really is funny.
2: I think it, it's worth finishing just because. Uh, you want to see watch it all, but I, the last season, Jules, um, the actress, had signed on for an ABC show because uh, mm-hmm. they weren't sure they were going to do this last season. And then they said, no, we're going to do the last season. And I think she only appears in a handful of ap- episodes in the last mm-hmm. season.
0: And I really like her.
2: Yeah. I. And that's one of the fun parts of the show is
0: that relationship. So,
2: yeah. All right. So, okay. Quick- well, do
0: you want to give us a quick synopsis of what this show is about?
2: Yes. Uh Sean Spencer is a hyper-observant slacker who pretends that he is psychic. So really, he's just Sherlock Holmes, uh, (laughs) where he looks around a room and he picks up on things that everyone else is missing, and he uses that to then pretend to be psychic. He and his best friend, Gus, help the Santa Barbara Police Department solve crimes. In these two episodes that we're talking about, they are up against a playful serial killer.
0: All right. So if that sounds interesting to you, you can go check out Uh, psych on netflix uh, or we'll have um, links in our show notes where you can pick it up on amazon uh, and remind you to make all your amazon purchases at protagonistpodcast.com slash amazon it looks just like regular amazon but we get a nice kickback from uh, all the purchases that you make there so um, you can pick up psych uh, on amazon or you can watch it all on netflix
2: just a reminder that today's podcast is also brought to you by audible.com and you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial by going to www.audibletrial.com protagonist where over 180,000 titles await you to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or if you're going old school, your MP3 player. So some trivia about Psych Todd. Uh, it aired on the USA Network and they made 121 episodes between July 2006 and March 2014. And that is a lot of Murder in Santa Barbara. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's kind of like a like our discussion about mur- about murder. She wrote like how many people are left in Santa Barbara after?
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure crime happens in Santa Barbara, but it also looks fairly paradisiacal as
0: you see. It on Probably the show. not 121 murders. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm no I'm no expert. It seems like a lot.
2: Yeah, Uh, It was created by a man named Steve Frank and Steve Frank's band called The Friendly Indians performs the theme song so he was able to write the theme song for his own show
0: that if you can do that saved him a little little money
2: (laughs) if you can do that in life, you're doing okay creatively I would say (laughs) Um, A Pineapple famously appeared in almost every episode of the series, I've seen online where it says every episode and also several uh, places where it says almost every episode so we're just going to go with almost every episode Uh, reportedly this is because James Roday really loves pineapples and in the pilot, he improvised a bit about pineapples and they left it in (laughs) and then it kept going from there. So the premise of the show may sound familiar. If, uh, if you have ever watched the CBS show, The Mentalist, are
0: you familiar with The Mentalist, Todd? Um, I have never seen The Mentalist.
2: I've never seen it, but I know it is about a fake psychic who uses his extreme powers of observation to help California authorities serious? solve crimes and <laughs> murders. You did not know that. Psych prefer- uh, premiered, uh, I think, about a year and a half before The Mentalist started airing on CBS. And after the mentalist got on the air on psych, there are frequent references to Sean Spencer being the biggest mentalist fan. (laughs) (laughs) Like I know there's an episode where he got uh, kidnapped and to try and figure out what he was up to, or he had disappeared and figure out what he was up to. Gus was looking at his internet browser history. He's like, this is all just mentalist fan sites.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. There'll
2: be other allusions to Sean frequently watching the mentalist on the show. Um, So they never like, said outright you guys stole our premise which on cbs it was being played much more seriously in street than uh-huh. on psych but they uh they did have some fun with that <laughs> that's great and psych does a lot of episodes that are homages to other works so there are shows that are clearly um just a, a twin peaks riff or a clue um homage or the hangover and uh one of the episodes we talk about today does a lot of um Albert hitchcock references. Yes. So, uh, and all of those, it just needs to be said again with a very playful tone. Uh, this is a hilarious show. It, yes, they're dealing with murder most of the time, but they play up the laughs quite a bit. And, uh, James Roday and Dulé Hill are one of my favorite comedic duos. Uh, you I know, agree. the best friends that just are able to be in simpatico with each other, no matter
0: what the situation is around them. We get. I think we get some really good stuff in these. Even though they are more serious episodes, there's still a lot of laughs. All right. So
2: are you ready? Yes. Yeah, so you ready to give the full spoiler version of these two
0: episodes to our listeners? Yes. You ready? Yes. Begin. Uh, Sean and Gus, who Sean introduces as Trapezius Milkington, are ordering food at a restaurant. Uh, Gus criticizes Sean for flirting with the waitress and says Sean will never be serious with a girl. So Sean calls up his old high school girlfriend, Abigail, and suggests they go on a date. Then Sean gets an urgent call from the police chief telling him to get down to the station. She has received uh, evidence tied—a letter tied to the dreaded yin-yang killer. He says he is going to kill someone tonight, and he wants them to bring along the psychic, Sean. Uh, Sean immediately says that he has received a vision and indicates the killer is in the room. Juliet tells him the man he has pointed to is named Mary Lightly, the police profiler. He knows uh, the most about Mr. Yang. So this guy Lightly uh, has been studying Mr. Yang, this this murderer, for a long time because he's Santa Barbara's most notorious uh, killer. And is there a lot of competition? Well, more than you might think for that yes. <laughs> in the world of psych. <laughs> So Lightly introduces the team to the first riddle. And then Sean's father, Henry, storms into the precinct and forbids Sean from participating in this because it's too dangerous. But Sean reminds him that he's not 27 anymore. He can do whatever he wants. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great line. Lasseter predictably misinterprets the poem. So Lasseter is the uh, chief detective. Um, and he uh, misinterprets the poem, but Sean picks up on it quickly and realizes that Yang is going after the waitress uh, with whom he had flirted at lunch. So they all run to the diner, but the girl is gone, and there's only a stopwatch and a streak of blood and a new poem uh, waiting for them there. So Sean keeps joking around, and then Gus tells him to stop acting like it doesn't matter, and then Sean tells him he has to do his thing and not let this guy into his head. And Gus tells him nobody is laughing, and Sean assures him, oh, yes, they are. They're all laughing on the inside. Uh, The next riddle leads them back to the precinct. Uh, Sean's mom is there. She tells him that she had done psyche evals on the cops that had tried to catch this guy in the past, and they were all messed up. Uh, And Sean affirms to her that he can catch the guy. So everybody meets in the conference room, and there's a cage with a mouse inside um, that's been left there by Yang and a new note. And Sean is stumped, but then... (laughs) But then Gus, trying to lighten the mood, because Sean had told him that he needs to keep the mood light to, to keep the, the uh, to kind of keep him on top of his game. So Gus, trying to lighten the mood, does a Michael Jackson interpretation. <laughs> just looks at him impression. like... impression, yeah, <laughs> just... yeah, like he's uh, he's totally insane. Um, and then they find uh, the next clue. Uh, Sean finds the next clue on a piece of newspaper that's underneath the the mouse, and Gus uses his skills. As a ferroequinologist, to pinpoint the next location <laughs> as a steam car that's running through the city. By this point, we Wait, should Tom, mention. Wait, that... Would you like to explain what a ferroequinologist is? Doesn't everybody know? Uh. <laughs> no, a ferroequinologist.
1: <laughs> Wait, it's something about magnets. No, nope. no, a nope.
0: ferroequinologist. Oh. If you knew the Spanish "ferrocarril," then you would know that this is somebody who <laughs> is an aficionado of trains. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> It's fantastic because on the on the piece of newspaper it says something about pharaoh equinologist and Gus says, That's somebody who likes trains. Uh, a pharaoh is somebody who likes trains. And Lassiter says, how do you know that? And Gus says, because I'm a pharaoh <laughs> He
2: like, in a very <laughs> affronted way. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> how dare you question my pharaoh
0: credentials? <laughs> so they run um, – oh, by, the, by this point, we should mention that Mary Lightly, this police profiler, is demonstrating uncanny knowledge of the case and is acting in a generally very creepy way. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like his performance in this. Um, so they make it to the train station and Sean and Gus fulfill Sean's lifelong fantasy of chasing down a train like hobos. And while they're running, Abigail calls and Sean picks up the phone and they're running, chasing this thing. And he's having this conversation (laughs) on the phone with her. And he tells her he might have to push the time back uh, a bit, but the, the date is still on. And they finally make it to the train car and they finally have 27 minutes to solve the next riddle, which leads them to the pier. And they have instructions to answer a ringing phone that they will find there within eight rings. And Sean finds the phone, but then instead of answering it, he just chucks it into the ocean because he knows that the killer is watching them and he has to be close and he's tired of kind of playing this, the game. So he sees a reflection of a window in his own psych office, which is close by where they are. So they all run there to the office, but it's empty and Sean is beside himself with rage and Gus grabs a model plane and pretends to be King Kong (laughs) to try to get Sean to settle (laughs) down. Uh, And it actually works. Um, Sean gives him a little wink while everyone else is like, "Gus, what are you doing?" <laughs> and and Gus being funny is like, it's so not funny, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is. Yes, it's hilarious. Yeah. Um. So so Mary reads the next clue and it, it tells and he tells the gang they should go back to the station to wait for more instructions. But then Sean tells them that he's done playing the game. He quits. And Juliet and I don't know that we've spoken much about Juliet at this point, but Juliet is. Uh Sean has been in love with Juliet since uh season one, episode one, and um he's had a huge crush on her, and she has not been interested really in him. Um anyway, and she's Lassiter's partner. So she and Lassiter are incensed, uh, but Sean tells them to go, and so they leave in a huff. And then Sean tells Gus that they are going to solve the crime, but that he had to change the rules, and now he's bought them some time to work alone. So back at the station, Lassiter solves the next riddle, which takes them to a hotel. Then Sean and Gus are still on their own, and Sean tries to call Abigail back, but she's not answering at this point. So then Sean calls Lassie to tell him to look for the waitress's Jeep, and uh, Lassie tells him they already found it. It's at the hotel. So Sean and Gus go to the hotel, and they find the waitress. And there's a new note telling Sean that the stakes have been raised, and now Yang has taken Sean's mom. Uh, the next clue takes them to a drive-in movie theater, and now it's, t- it's time for the end game. So they look car by car, they're trying to find the, the car that's his mom's, and then Sean finds it, and his mom is in the car, and she's tied up, and she has a bomb strapped to her. So she tells Sean that the killer's in the car next to hers, and then in, in the car next, next door, there's this wild-looking wait lady. And she shows Sean that she has the kill switch. She has the, the, the switch for the bomb. And she calls him over to her car. So Sean sits down in this car with this woman. And they talk. And she is absolutely uh, cray-cray, we could say. <laughs> she As is the kids say these days. Absolutely bananas crazy. And she tells Sean that she wants to kill his mom, but she also wants Sean to like her. And so she's, so she's torn. And she wants to write a book. And she wants Sean to write the foreword. And Sean says no, and she tells him to think about it on his date tonight. And then she gives Sean the kill switch, and the police arrest her. Mom is safe. End of the story. But wait. Uh, Sean thinks back and realizes that Yang has been watching them the entire day. It kind of makes him sick. Uh, and then he goes and talks to his mom, and she tells him to go on the date, that life is about more than catching bad guys. So Abigail shows up back at the theater, and Sean has um, like reserved the whole drive-in theater for them. And the date's on, and he's getting some popcorn. And then Juliet shows up, and she, she's kind of she does confesses her. She conf- <laughs> Yeah, she does this speech, this kind of nervous speech, and she professes her at least like for him <laughs> and asks him on a date. And Sean just says, this is the absolute worst timing so, ever.
2: This is the scene. So she does the classic rom-com speech of, yeah. you know. And his reaction is just, "You have the worst timing. It's like spectacularly <laughs> bad." Like, and just he completely tells her, bluntly, he doesn't let her down gently. He just, says, "No, <laughs> he why?" Just says,
0: I am on a date right now with <laughs> Abigail, and then, and this is this may be my most favorite part of everything that we watched for this episode. She gives him the most romantic kiss on the cheek of all time. Like, <laughs> seriously. It's amazing. <laughs> there is more. Uh, it's really good. It's a really, really, really good kiss on the cheek. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, do you, Todd, is this
1: secretly like how, how Joe likes to pick up on when women are pregnant in sitcoms? Is this something you keep an eye on? <laughs> in, on kisses? In, in, kisses? On, on, the cheek? on screen uh, cheek kisses. Specifically. Well, I
0: mean, usually a cheek kiss is just a peck. But she, there's something about about the way that Juliet does this kiss that is incredibly romantic. It's amazing. It's, it's really amazing. And Sean, the look on Sean's face when she does it, he's like, "Oh man!" And you know <laughs> that he just wants to cancel the date with Abigail, like right that second. But he actually, you know, he's no, a man of, you of expects honor. That
2: because he walks and he walks out and he sees Abigail and he says, "I have really bad news," something along those lines. Yeah, And then you can tell she's, like, waiting for him to break off the date because she was let down by him in high school. Mm -hmm. And he says, they're out of butter. I don't know how a theater (laughs) chain could be out of butter for popcorn.
1: (laughs) It's criminal. I don't even
0: know why I'm apologizing this because it's not my fault. But And then she's like, okay. And Abigail, to her credit, is really cool. I really like Abigail. And I love that that both of the love interests in this series are actually really cool. (laughs) They're really cool. And it creates like, honest-to-goodness tension in him because he has two great options, I think. Uh, so Juliet leaves, Sean and Abigail get in the car, and then Gus, Gus is in the back seat, and the movie begins, and we roll credits. So that's uh, that's the first episode. The next episode is called... An Evening with Mr. Yin? No,
2: it's Mr. Yin Presents, a play on oh, Mister. Hitchcock presents. presents. Oh, yes, 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 yes. He had a, he had a TV show called Alfred Hitchcock Presents, okay. so...
0: So now we flash back to 1989, and Sean's dad drops him off, supposedly to see The Little Mermaid, <laughs> but he really goes in to watch Psycho. Um, and, na- and then we jump into the present day, and Sean and Gus are in the same movie theater watching Psycho. And Sean shows up late because all he cares about is the shower scene. And uh, as they walk out of the theater, and Sean explains to Gus the new bit he is working on called Completely Random Untrue Trivia... <laughs> uh (laughs) mary lightly shows up Uh, mary lightly is the police profiler the creepy weird guy that seems to know everything about uh yang so he shows up and he takes them to a diner so yang yang who is what we're calling the murderer who is uh in jail the one that they captured the last time she's actually in a in an institution in a padded cell (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she has written a book about her crimes, but Mary is convinced that she was working that she wasn't working alone because it would have been logistically impossible for her to commit the crimes. Uh, so Sean and Gus are not convinced, and they leave, but then Sean goes home and he gets the book out and he reads it through the night. Uh, the next morning, there's a murder, and Sean and Gus uh, are called to the crime scene. And they're horrified to find that the victim is the waitress from the diner of the previous night where they had been with Mary. And her body is placed in the position of a yin-yang symbol. And so then they go back to the diner. And the if you're speech... confused,
2: audience, about how that can be, she's the curve in the middle of the yin-yang and there was a white rock and a black rock, large circular okay. rocks placed yes. on the opposite ends of that to make it look like the yin-yang
0: symbol. Okay. Thank you. Uh, So back at the diner, the team speaks with Mary lightly, and he tells them that this is the work of Yin, who is Yang's counterpart. And they uncover a riddle, but then Sean again refuses to play, and he takes Gus and Mary to see the incarcerated Yang. And she is still completely bonkers, and she says all kinds of creepy things. This lady is a fantastic actress. (laughs) She's so creepy. Uh, And most importantly, she tells them that she had a dance partner and that they ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, So the team goes back uh, to the movie theater where Sean and Gus had seen Psycho the night before, and Sean finds a clue. And they think this uh, will be like the last time, where it's sort of a game, and they find a, a clue with a poem, and it leads them to another place. But then Mary reminds them that yin and yang are opposites. And yang played by the rules, and yin is all about chaos. So as soon as they figure out the rules of the game, then he'll change everything. And Gus realizes that the murders will all have a Hitchcock theme. So the next uh, n- that night, Sean falls asleep watching which, Vertigo.
2: Which I just want to say, it doesn't really narrow the field of murder options, really. <laughs> to say that they're going to be done in a Hitchcockian
0: style. Yes. <laughs> um, so he falls asleep watching Vertigo, and in his dream, he realizes that the murderer is Mary Lightly uh, because the Mary Lightly wears ankle weights. <laughs> <ankle-waves. laughs> because he says that it totally transformed Ryan Reynolds' career. <laughs> And uh, and he realizes, Sean realizes that um, when he saw, he he had a glimpse of Yin and Yin was wearing uh, ankle weights. So he tells Gus. They go back to the station. They tell the chief and Lassie and Jules about their theory, but they don't have any evidence, so they can't really move uh, on on his hunch. And then Sean that they just keep playing along and let Yin kind of hang himself. So then Mary shows up, and he's got the next clue. And while the team races to the location, Sean and Gus go to Mary's house, and it's totally creepy. It's this old, it looks like a haunted house, like classic, black, dilapidated house. And it's full, it's full of sardine cans, empty sardine cans, because <laughs> he eats sardines out of the can all the time. And it just looks like this Mary is the killer. And there's all these details, and, and one of the details is where he is going to get his next big uh, victim, which is an abandoned building. So the team stakes the place out, and they see Mary go into the building, and he locks the door behind them. So Jules and Lassie split up to check the perimeter, and then Sean picks the lock, and he and Gus sneak into the building. And there on the computer monitors, they see Mary being stabbed in a recreation of a scene from Psycho. And they break out of that room, and they find Mary bleeding out, and Gus sees the killer escaping, but they can't catch him, and Mary dies in Sean's arms. So apparently Mary is not Ian.
2: Yeah, they Uh, misfired
0: on that one. Yes. Uh, So Gus and Sean go back to visit Yang in her padded cell, and she tells them they have all the clues that they need. Uh, And then another clue arrives, and they rush back to the station. Um, And Yin has asked them to dress like archetypal Hitchcock characters and to go to a movie set. And uh, even Sean's dad, Henry, is called in on this one. So when they arrive, Lassie and Henry are lured into this old-timey car, and then they're locked in. And then Gus chases down a clue, uh, and then Sean sits in this wheelchair and he looks out of a rear window and then Juliet uh follows her clue into Ernie's diner from vertigo. so Yin uh takes over their comms and he pumps the vertigo music into their ears. It's very creepy and uh and Gus, because he's lost um, audio contact with Juliet, he goes and follows her into the diner and she f- but she falls down a trapdoor. And Gus picks up her gun and he follows, but he can't find her. And she's lost in these tunnels. Nobody else knows what's going on because of the music and their comms, and Juliet has disappeared. And so they all go back to the station, and everyone's on edge waiting for news from Yin. And then Gus realizes that Sean's girlfriend, Abigail, is returning from a trip today. So the chief sends Officer McNabb to pick her up and keep her safe, but McNabb is knocked out, and the killer takes Abigail. And then he calls Sean and tells him that he will have to choose between saving Juliet and saving Abigail this i so i'm trying to remember our order of posting these this episodes is going to but
1: post after
0: the dark night <laughs> right after the dark night episode yes <laughs> interesting so a new clue comes in and they find out that juliet's in a clock tower uh and so lassie the chief and gus go to try to save her and then sean sort of figures out the next clue, and then realizes that Abigail will be at the pier. So he goes with his dad to save her. She's under the pier, um, tied to a post, and the tide is rising. And Sean and Henry jump in, and they cut her loose with their Swiss Army knives. And Gus and Lassie save Juliet. Uh, Sean actually sees Yin at this point, but he's wearing a, a mask that covers his face. And he decides to let Yin go so that he can save Abigail so now it's the epilogue and sean tells abigail he wants to compromise and make a life with her she tells him she could totally fall in love with him but she doesn't want to die (laughs) and they kiss it's a good kiss but it's nothing like juliet's uh kiss on the cheek and uh she tells him she's not cut out for this life and to call him if he ever decides to stop chasing psychopaths uh cue the music montage uh we got sean looking sad juliet's weeping in lassie's arms Henry's cleaning up Sean's office. Sean and Gus are dressed in racquetball gear at Mary's funeral. <laughs> um, Mary was uh, wondering
2: if there would be racquetball in heaven.
0: Yes. Uh, Crazy Yang is in her padded cell, and we see Yin, and he's backlit, and he takes off his fedora, and then he, he looks down at this photo of Sean with a woman who is Yang, uh, and he uh, strokes the picture, and then we roll credits. It was young Sean, though, right? Young Sean, yeah. So this is a very, very quick episode of Yang 3 in 2D, which is the final episode of this uh, little trilogy. And, and I it's think the least of the three. I. Would it's the weakest by far. Not. So this young woman shows up, and she claims to have been captured by Yin. Um, and uh, so Sean has her stay at his dad's house for safety, but then she's abducted. And they get permission to get Yang out of her cell to help them. And so this is Sean and Gus. And uh, then they get some video diary tapes that Mary Lightly had made before he was killed, and then they find a clue, and it leads them to this nearby house. And they go in, they get trapped um, by Yin, and he's going to kill them, and then he goes on this long monologue, and then um, Yang comes in the room, and she kills him, and it turns out that Yin is Yang's father. And then the police take away Yin's accomplice Allison, who is the girl who was initially abducted. She was in on it the whole time. In the back of the station, we see that Juliet is shaken up, and that she and Sean are now together. And the end. That that, that was quick, and (laughs) (laughs) but I really do think it kind of covers yeah
2: everything that needed to be covered. Everything.
0: I just it's so disappointing when you find out who Yin really is. It's like really because everything was so good up until that until that point, but.
2: And they, uh, like, these weren't back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. These were all, like, the season finales. Yes, three, three years season ago. finales in a row.
0: So, where do we go from here?
2: I just want to say, I think they really missed an opportunity when they were trying to hop on the train back in the first episode uh-huh. that we discussed. They didn't use the word bindle, and that's one of my favorite words to hear. <laughs> like, any, any sequence that involves the word bindle... Goes up comedically in my mind is there's just something funny about the word bindle and they talked about hopping the trains like hobos and they never mentioned the word bindle. What are they doing? Come on.
0: <laughs> why, why do you say that? I just the love the word bindle. bindle. It's, it's, it's a
2: funny word. You can't like <laughs> try to say bindle without <laughs> smiling, Todd. Say bindle. <laughs> say hand me my bindle, bindle banjo because your friend <laughs> hopping the trains would be named banjo. Wow. <laughs> well,
1: well, Joseph, now you're, de- You need to acknowledge Thrilling
2: Adventure Hour. That last bit did come from uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour, which sometimes had
1: uh, rail-hopping adventures of... (laughs) Banjo Bindle stuff? Banjo Bindle stuff. That's where it was, yes. (laughs) Uh, It it was in their series of episodes, part of Down in Moonshine Holler.
0: Yes. I can honestly say that I have never had the thought go into my head, you know what would make this more funny if they said the word bindle?
1: (laughs) There's
2: other words that are famously funny like pickle that's you know hard the hard k in there is is fantastic uh but yeah there's a bindle is just a great word okay and i thought it was missing from the scene <laughs> maybe they'll do a remake maybe they did remake one episode of they did psych yes and i remember it confusing me <laughs> like wait didn't they already do this <laughs>
0: Uh, so I have a question for you. Yeah. This the the story of the killer who plays the game with the with the detective. Mm-hmm. We've seen this in Sherlock for sure.
2: Yes. Um, and I've well, seen
0: it in. I know that I've seen it in other detective shows. It, do we know the origin of this? I feel like we should.
2: Can I have a minute? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it might not start with Moriarty. Well, no, I was going to say, like, Moriarty does not appear very much in sh- in the actual Sherlock Holmes novels. Right. But in adaptations, Moriarty became that for Sherlock. Yeah. Because I think he only appears in two or three, maybe three of the original Sherlock Holmes novel or stories by. Um,
0: but does uh, he do that? Does he do the, like, here's a clue and if you can't figure it out, then I'm going to kill somebody?
2: No, I don't routine. Think so. He does the Reichenbach Falls thing, but...
0: Because it's, it's a thing now.
2: Was it... Like, in real life, it's basically the Zodiac Killer is the only one that actually has
0: done that, right? I... I don't know. I've never heard of the Zodiac Killer, but did, is that somebody who actually did this? Yeah, I
2: think they deliberately would send clues
0: to the police, and it was never solved. It's <sighs> the Well, Jack the Ripper was... Yeah. He taunted, he taunted the police. He did? He... How did he taunt the police? Like I think that he doing taunts the, same the thing police again? by like sending notes or sending. I don't think that he sent clues, but I but I'm pretty sure that he sent like body parts or something of his victims to the police, like as as a taunt. I may be making this up. <laughs> I watched. Um, was it called White White Church, Whitehall White Church, Broadchurch? A... No, no, that's a different one. <sighs> uh, you're thinking of Doctor Who. <laughs> um, <laughs> wait wait wait
1: wait. Like, is there something like Whitehall Murders?
0: There's one that's called. Uh, I think it's called White something. Anyway, it's a it's a modern adaptation of Jack the Ripper. Anyway, there's a there's a guy that's a, a copycat Jack the Jack the Ripper, and a new a new D. Is it the DI? The DI. This is British. So the detective inspector. He's the one that's like the boss. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He's in. He's trying to f- f- solve this crime. It's pretty, I mean, if you're, if you're into that kind of stuff, it's pretty interesting.
2: All right. So Zodiac Killer sent
0: letters to news agencies taunting everyone, basically. But, like, giving clues? Like, saying, if you uh, can't solve this, I'm going to kill somebody within the next that, whatever?
2: I don't know.
0: Where did that come from? All right.
2: On ABCNews.com, I found a history of serial killers taunting police. They mentioned the Unabomber, the Son of Sam... Um, Son of Sam apparently left a note at crime scenes and sent notes. The Zodiac Killer. Oh, apparently there have been two
0: Zodiac Killers. Breakout villain. Not every hero has an arch enemy initially. Sometimes, though, a villain may be introduced who ends up being a breakout character in his own right, and thus a villain of the week becomes the villain of the series.
2: Okay, it looks like the first one is Jack the Ripper. And then there were several in the 70s were just a bad time to be alive, I think, between the music Wow. And <laughs> the clothes <laughs> the clothes <laughs> the the drug scene where that was a step up from the nineteen sixties drug scene in terms of fatality. Uh-huh. Uh but it seems like it so in the seventies, uh that's when we had Son of Son of Sam, Zodiac Killer, uh and Hillside Strangler. Um they would those all taunted police by leaving uh specific things for them. Okay. But it wasn't like the solve this and or I'll murder again. It was more like you can't catch me. I'm smarter than you. Kind of taunting. The yeah, scene.
0: yeah. Okay. And in literature, I mean, like, I, okay. I can't so even Jack the, the first Ripper, time that I've seen it,
2: Jack the Ripper specifically wrote a letter saying, "Catch me when you can." Okay, and included a part of a kidney from a victim in that one. There you go. <laughs> so.
0: I knew that I knew there was some, there was something there. Anyway, it's an interesting plot device, and. I mean, it works. Like I said, when we were discussing psych and what episodes could we possibly do, these were the first two that came to my mind, like immediately. Um, as to me, they're the most emotionally uh, charged. I think. I think we see a different side of Sean when he gets when he gets really upset. Like we see the funny side, but we also see the I'm really worried about my mom. And I'm really worried about these girls that I care about side uh, that we don't see in every episode. So I I like him coming up against his arch nemesis brings out a side of him that we don't see often, and I like that.
2: And I think that that more serious side of Sean is something that we need because part of the driving heart of this show becomes his um his dance with Juliet, right? The the, the will they won't they part yes. of it. And if he's always just the goofball who's pretending to be psychic, he's,
0: he doesn't deserve her. <laughs> First of all, uh, I don't know that he ever, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I think pretty highly of Juliet. Yes. <laughs> I don't know that anybody deserves Juliet.
2: Um, but I was going to say, like, you need that seriousness to really start to care about this. Like, you need to see him hurt that Juliet comes to him at the wrong moment. And, but also you need to see him be mature enough to not, call off the date that he just made. Yeah. Um, Cause he has not shown that many signs of maturity <laughs> throughout the series. Well, that's um, the
0: joke, right? The joke, yeah. the, the joke that I'm not 27 anymore. You can't tell me what to do there. That says so much about Sean and his character. And I mean, the first time we meet him, he's like sitting on his couch. He just, he is a, he is a total slacker.
2: So the the way that he ends up being, a psychic for the police department. If I recall correctly, it's been a long time, but it doesn't, mm-hmm. he keeps solving crimes that he's not there for. Like he just watches the news and he calls in yes. and says, who did it? And finally yes. they say, this is getting suspicious. <laughs> right. And so he, he does this whole routine of being psychic, which if I recall correctly, it is played up way more as far as the theatricality of his psychic visions in the first season. Is that right? Like, um, I like... think
0: it I think it even changes like episode by episode. Because <laughs> I just it's, have memory. It's interesting like... that because late in this at the very beginning of this episode, when he first finds out about this character, he says, oh, I've had a vision. It's that guy, and he points at Mary. And that's very it's it's very like hammed up. Yes. But as the as the plot thickens and the stakes get higher, there's far less of that and more of him just it, it, it it's like everybody forgets that he's psychic and everybody's just trying to figure out the clues together. And they work together as a team, Um which I also think is really cool because sometimes Gus will come up with something. Sometimes it's Lassie. Sometimes it's Jules. Sometimes it's Mary. Sometimes it's Henry. Sometimes it's the chief. Just real uh, quick for
2: everyone, just to run down again, Lassie is the senior detective who doesn't think Sean is psychic and is constantly waiting for to be able to catch him. Jules is the junior detective that Sean is in love with. Gus is the best friend. Henry's the dad, and the chief is the
0: chief, yeah, and sometimes it's more theatrical and sometimes it's less. I think that the I, I think they do that on purpose, like he becomes less and less an actor and more and more just a guy trying to figure out the clues because uh, this, this is hard for him
2: in this particular episode or in this episode the whole
0: series in this episode i um, i I couldn't speak for the whole arc of the series uh it seems to me to be more episode by episode than it is season by season right and and in this case the beginning of an episode versus later in the episode so i don't know about that but
2: yeah and he is um like at the beginning when he's reading the clue from uh mr yang (laughs) all he does is he's like this is horrible poetry look at this rhyme scheme (laughs) this is so simplistic it's almost insulting and he's making jokes about everything uh but we do see that switch where he's like i need the lighter mood to be able to keep working but i can't provide that myself. So Gus, Gus steps up and do does <laughs> does all the insane bits that cause, like you said, uh, the police <clears throat> detectives that are there to just look at Gus and be like, give him withering stares. Like, what yeah. are you doing right now? And Sean just gives him a little wink like, thank you. And, and then Sean <laughs> jumps to the next bit.
0: Yeah. But I, I mean, think that does I show some just, of that. I, would, I just have to give another shout out to Dulé Hill. He is really good.
2: And I love what you said about in this episode, he is funny by trying to be funny and not being funny. But we as the audience find it funny, which yes. I think that's a layer of comedic acting that can be hard to reach. And he does it perfectly.
0: I agree. He's a really good physical. I'm both both uh, Rode and Hill are both great physical actors. Um, he just like the, the scene when they're running and talking to Abigail on the phone. That's i mean it's it's just great comedy um would have been funnier with the word bindle <laughs> <laughs> word bindle notwithstanding it is a great <laughs> it's a great piece of comedy um and just their timing the the chemistry that they have together really does put them in the in the top echelons of comedic teams I think
2: someday we may have to do a draft episode of best buddies
0: <laughs> yeah, they would definitely be on the. On On the short list, yeah. (laughs) On the short list, yeah. Oh, man, good stuff. You had something to say about the crime rate in Santa Barbara.
2: Yes, so when you were uh, doing your summary, I having just recently watched the episode, I took that moment to try and figure out exactly how many murders typically happen in Santa Barbara. Because, as we said, 121 episodes, I'm just going to go ahead and guess, there's about 121 murders in the show Psych. Sure. Uh, And I am on the website called citydata.com. Uh, cry, and, uh, this is per 100,000 residents. I didn't look up how many residents are in Santa Barbara, but it doesn't really matter for what I found. For example, in 2011, would you like to guess how many murders per 100,000 residents of Santa Barbara there were? Uh, uh, 10. Zero. There were zero. In 2012, <laughs> there were zero. 2013, big uptick. Two. There were two murders. <laughs> wow. So, uh, maybe one of the areas that the show takes some liberties with, as all crimes, crime shows do, is the number of murders
0: that take place in the area. Okay. Okay. Um, what else have we got here?
2: I, I want to go back and to me, this kind of, ties in a little bit with uh, the discussion that we had for Much Ado About Nothing. So Uh if you enjoy this discussion, listeners, feel free to go back and listen to our Much Ado About Nothing episode.
1: I want to talk about... Wait. I looked up the population of Santa Barbara. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 88,000.
0: Okay, that's awesome. (laughs) So it really,
1: it so really. So your cents were per one hundred I, I, thousand.
2: It must be like the go-to <laughs> setting on that website. <laughs> and so, so there were zero murders in multiple years when the show was on the air.
1: Yeah,
0: in Santa Barbara. Yeah,
1: yeah like even okay. even you know, assuming that I I thought maybe they had twice as many as a hundred thousand as their population, and so it's like maybe it stacks up to be an aggregate one. <laughs> yeah. Nope. nope.
0: It's, it's No. Less. Than, it's not even.
1: Yeah. Less than zero murders per 100,000. Wow.
0: Well, uh, oh, okay. congratulations, Santa Barbara, on yes. being a safe place to live.
2: And also, yeah, as like... I said, looking like a tropical paradise. Yeah, feel free yeah. to move there. Yeah, exterior shots.
0: Yeah, really.
2: Um, I mean, who would kill anyone when everything's just so pleasant? <laughs> Seems... Uh, the, what I was going to ask about is with Sean, uh, this idea of deception, which like I said, to me, it circles back to what we talked about some with, with much ado about nothing. And this idea of his, he is madly in love with Juliet for a lot of this series. Uh, we, these episodes do not focus on those two relationships. Like we get that beat at the end of each episode, kind of, um, of his, you know, being in a relationship with someone else. But, uh, is there that any... kiss on the
0: cheek is worth like. <laughs> I'm just saying.
2: What's <laughs> it? Do you think there's any long-term viability to that relationship when the very premise of their meeting is him pretending to be psychic and continuing this lie for years on end? Um Large, I'd say at some point his the reason he continues the lie is no longer self-preservation to not be a suspect for crime, <laughs> uh, but because it allows him the opportunity to stay close to Jules. Yeah. Um But. Is that? Is there any chance of this relationship working? I, like, well,
0: the, that's an interesting. It's, it's an interesting thing that you just said because, I, at some point, you have to wonder: Is there ever a chance of a relationship happening between him and Abigail? Because if if there's a if if he's ever going to be drawn away from Juliet, it's going to be to Abigail. She's perfect for him. She's she's super funny. Her humor is very. Her sense of humor is very similar to his, but she's also kind of more grounded and mature than he is. Um, that's not a tough
2: part to clear. No,
0: no, not really. But you can, I mean, I can imagine a, a version of this where they find, uh, you know, some, somebody to be a romantic interest for him, who is like a a female version of, of him. And that he says, Oh, this is so cool. And then you say, no, you really need to be with Julia because, because of yin and yang. Right. Um, and they didn't, they didn't go that way completely. Um, so, this interesting thing happens at the end when Abigail kind of breaks up with him after after the pier um, when he saves her life, and then he says, "I'm willing to compromise." I mean he's the one going after her and saying, "I'm willing to compromise. I want to have a life with you." and then she says, "I can't do this. Come and find me when you're done chasing psychopaths and then she walks away and there's no reason for him at that point to not say I'm done chasing, chasing psychopaths um, is the reason that he's, that he stays sitting on that bench because he, because he likes chasing psychopaths or because he wants to be close to Juliet and he's really in love with her.
2: Okay. Cause this also brings up an interesting point because it's in the same sequence where we see him sitting on the bench. This is where we see Juliet crying into mm-hmm. Lassiter's arms where she was Okay, so she, she was on a chair that was tilted over, and a, a drop was going to kill her.
0: So it looked, it was very. Um, it reminded me of uh, Back to the Future. One hundred percent, yes, the clock scene. Yes,
2: <laughs> I, I would guess there were some deliberate homages because I definitely felt that as well. Yeah, the wire
0: um, coming off the the electrical wire. There's the coming giant off spark of the clock. when he first connect, connects mm-hmm. it. Yeah, totally.
2: Um, so obviously she has plenty of reason to be upset, but on this is in the wikipedia page for that specific episode mr yin presents i saw a reference to a review from a writer named jonah krakow uh talking about the specific episode and he he apparently focused in on that breakdown when she's crying and he wondered if it wasn't just you know relief about having her life saved being saved but her being sad that sean didn't choose to rescue her that sean wasn't there that it was gus and lassiter that saved her life
0: Mm -hmm. I don't think I buy that. That sounds like a reach. To It does to me. Like,
1: that's that's putting a lot of subtext into something that, I mean, she's
0: inexplicably
2: she crying. Yes, but she also has had her life threatened many times and has never broken down
0: like that. But, but everything about these episodes tells us that Yin and Yang are nothing like any other murderers that they've seen. And when she talks about him and she says, Sean, I've been there like i've had him touch me i've felt his breath on my face she doesn't say and you weren't there to save me she Mm -hmm. she just is she just is terrified because he's a terrifying guy it's part of the reason why that that third episode is so dissatisfying because when you meet yang he's just kind of a dork and it's like really this is the guy this this guy with this foppy kind of cravat (laughs) i mean just is so weird and so not what we expected out of this super intelligent uh you know sean's alter our arch nemesis but 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 the the scene that we're talking about with juliet happens before that third episode that we can just pretend doesn't doesn't (laughs) exist maybe um and she's she's legitimately terrified because that's terrifying the whole the, the whole thing with the she's dressed in the clothes of Vertigo and then she drops down the thing and she's captured. I mean, that's all terrifying. There's nothing in that that's that that tells me that her response weeping in Lassiter's arms is not completely justified. Oh, yeah.
2: I like I did not get that at all, but I thought it was an interesting idea when I read uh that particular part of the review. Um and I think like you said, it, it could be a reach, but also I think the cross-cutting of the editing between those two, it makes it less of a reach to me. I'm not sure I, I, I buy know. it entirely. I don't buy it.
0: I don't buy it still. But, uh, but you still have not answered my question, which was, does Sean not go with Abigail because he wants to chase criminals or does Sean not go with Abigail because he wants to be close to Juliet?
2: All right. I would because have... I
0: think that that, I think that the answer to that question is also the answer to the question of is Sean, is Sean does he keep up the lie in order only in order to stay close to Juliet or does he keep up the lie because he really legitimately needs what he does, whether he enjoys catching criminals or whether he enjoys being in the limelight? I don't, I don't know if that's here or there.
2: All right. So one thing I think I need to say to preface this, I've seen every episode of psych once, except for these two that I've now seen twice. And I'm a little vague on the long story arcs of how uh, the Sean and Juliet's and them getting together and not go and i do like i said earlier like is there any hope for this relationship when it's based on the lie? and i do specifically remember a later season episode where juliet specifically asks him like are you psychic and then i think it ended right then and you didn't know what his Uh answer was going to be and i cannot remember how it played out (laughs) the next episode (laughs) and similarly your question about like is he sitting there because he uh he loves catching bad guys like that's something that has given him a, a form of identity that he certainly was lacking before or is it because juliet's there like i i probably need to watch rewatch a number of the episodes of around this
0: to don't worry it's only 121 yeah, hours no, of your life
2: to give a good answer but my gut is it's juliet is why he stays sitting on the bench and doesn't go after abigail
0: that's interesting because my sense is the opposite my sense is that he would walk away from juliet for Abigail and that the reason that he stays is because it gives him that sense of identity that that's the, that being there and doing that job with Gus and his dad and working with the team. uh, That's what gives him a sense of identity. I, I really do think that he would have gone with Abigail if, if not for that. Well, we're going to have to watch the whole series talk. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to hear what our, what our listeners have to think about this, but I mean, he really does love Juliet, obviously. But the fact that when Juliet comes to him and gives him that kiss that would turn any man (laughs) to her, (laughs) uh, he has the, I mean, he's, whether it's nobility or honor or whatever, or just interest in Abigail to say, I'm sorry, but I'm on a date right now. And but go again, and be with Abigail and start a relationship with her, he could have after that night, he could have said, you know what, Abigail, uh, Juliet wants to be with me, so I'm going to go. But he doesn't. He starts a relationship with her that lasts for a while until she breaks it off. Uh,
2: but again, I think he has to do that to show maturation that, again, makes him worthy of Jules. Like if he had called it off right then and said, I'm running after Jules in this moment, there's no way that there's any hope for them because like we said, he's not, you know, he's not good enough for her. Right. If he's willing to make that decision. It's that kind of catch twenty two. Like she for him to be the guy uh, this goes back to what we talked about uh in the Till We Have Faces. Or, okay. uh for the the wife of the soldier.
0: Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> like for what about for... Till We Have Faces has to do with psych. Yeah. But we found it.
2: Um for not, not the least of which the name. Wait, wait, hold on psyche oh gosh (laughs) yes uh (laughs) is this one posting after tillia faces we're right okay we're okay um so the the wife said for me to have the man that i wanted he needed to be noble enough to work himself to death Mm -hmm. basically and if i told him to stop and come be my husband it wouldn't be the man i was in love with and he wouldn't be himself anymore for juliet to actually be attracted to sean to the degree that the relationship would work he needs to be more mature enough to say, I'm not just running after you because you said you like me now. Like, uh-huh. I can now be advancing into adulthood enough that I say, I've opened this door with this woman, and I need to explore what exists over here. Uh-huh. And, and so it's it becomes this kind of catch-22. Um, Like, if he had pursued Juliet immediately, he wouldn't it wouldn't work at all, because that wouldn't be someone that she could be in love with, I think.
0: But doesn't it seem, I mean... I don't know that there's a right answer to this, but doesn't it seem interesting that he's not he he's not looking for an out with Abigail. He's looking for an in. He wants that relationship to work out in a way that makes me think that that's that being with Juliet is not the is not his end game. It's not the reason that he's there. Maybe it is initially but but at this point in the series i don't think that's the reason why he's there because if it was he wouldn't he wouldn't be looking for reasons to be with abigail i mean he may explore that relationship and and let it run its course but he's not going to be actively trying to make it work and telling her i'm going to change uh, in order to be with you i just think that he would he would let it go when you know
2: right like when she says, "I'm gonna go," he would have Fine. said,
0: "Yeah, like you know." He probably wouldn't say, "Don't let the door hit you on the way out," but, yeah. but, but if, but if Juliet was his end game, he wouldn't be all broken up inside about Abigail leaving. Um, but
2: if he didn't, I I was gonna say, but if he didn't still have some part of him that was in love with Juliet, I think he would have left right then. Even if it wasn't necessarily his end game, I think it's still something that's pulling him maybe even as he as he's giving voice to saying i can be fully committed to you abby and maybe he actually believes that which he says well for you to be fully committed you got to come this way i don't think it's just the work that's making okay. him say
0: i mean it, it probably the motivation is notoriously tricky <laughs> to unravel um the motivations of any of the decisions that we make uh and this is I mean, we really are reducing a very complicated decision to an either-or <laughs> when it probably is more of a yes and yes. Yes, both, <laughs> yeah, both, are, both happening. are happening. Um, But I but I would argue that it's not exclusively – that his, the, his reason for being there and doing that thing is not exclusively because he wants to be close to Juliet. It's at least as much because it gives him a sense of identity and uh, and grounds him in a way that he recognizes that he needs. And all of the other relationships that. that he has there are valuable to him. I don't know if I if I'll say as va- as valuable as his relationship with Juliet, certainly his his relationship with Gus is as or more important to him than his relationship with Juliet. Uh but his relationship with his dad, um his relationship with the chief Oh, man. This has been a good discussion.
2: More than I anticipated coming in. And listeners, just know it's been a smoother (laughs) ride for you than the one that we've had. Thank you, Andrew, for piecing together a very disjointed conversation. (laughs) Has done some magic if this (laughs) sounded at all coherent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. You got anything else to say about this?
2: Yeah. I I think just the final point, I think you kind of touched on it that I want to make, is that this the spectrum of relationships that uh, Sean forms where each one is very different from the others uh from you know his kind of broken relationship with his father at the start of the series where there's growing trust throughout the whole series to his never wavering friendship with Gus (laughs) to the kind of antagonistic relationship with Lassie and the uh you know the flirtatious relationship with Jules it just makes it a pleasure to watch this show because each character has their place and uh their motivations and those relationships are believable, even in the absurdity that is very present in this show. And the, uh, you, you, you have to go in accepting the tone of the show is wacky. Um, but within that wackiness, I think there's a truth to each one of those characters that, uh, carries through. And in some of these more serious episodes, such as the two that we talked about today, um, you see some of the depth that the lighter episodes, maybe, uh, it's present, uh, but it's, it's kind of skipping across. Whereas this one allows us to dig down into it.
0: It really has a heart that, to go along with that wackiness. And it's it's a great one. There's a reason why lots and lots and lots of people really like Psych. Um, yes. So you got anything else? No, I think that's going to wrap this up. Okay. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. And please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes. And please leave us a review there. It really helps us out. And things, uh, links to things we've talked about in this episode are at ProtagonistPodcast.com, and that's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at ProtagonistPod, at Todd K. Mac, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski, and our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. We have great, great conversations there with our listeners, and would love for any uh, any of you to stop in and say hello anytime, especially you new listeners. We've had lots of new listeners over the last month or so. Uh, if you'd like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by clicking on the support link on our homepage, or you can go to patreon.com protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. And then uh, just remind you that it looks exactly like regular Amazon and it costs you nothing more, but we get a, a kickback from your purchases. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long.
2: So when we tried to call you on Skype, a British woman's voice said, the person you're calling is unavailable. Really? <laughs> Which yeah. we've never had before.
1: <laughs> I've never heard anything like that How with exciting. Skype. exciting.
2: Yeah. So I do know. you, uh, do I, have you no idea I was what... going to ask if you have a new service that's handling your Skype calls? <laughs> or is that just um, your, uh, it's your assistant? It's actually just
0: my, it's my personal assistant. <laughs> yes. Your, your in-house name. Her name game. is uh, Thur- Thursday? Is that her name?